It's always beautiful when the songs that we sing, the words that we express in worship are directly out of scripture. And is he worthy? This song that our praise team just led us in, and I'll be honest, a little biased to the soloist guest that we had up here. So that's, my, that's my oldest son, but... Um, um, just the beautiful words that come straight out of Revelation 5, which is our passage this morning. And as you're turning in your Bible or checking in your uh, uh, online app or whatever you're using for Scripture, um, if you're streaming with us and, and you don't have a Bible, you'll, you'll know if you've been with us in audience, I, I've mentioned this quite often, there are a number of great apps you can put on your phone, you can put on your uh, tablet uh, in order to have the Word of God everywhere with you. I mean, you saw how easy it was to share, right? You got your phone, you're able to share that you're watching this and, and joining with us. And you'll see the link there at the bottom where you can give online, all of that. But you can carry right there in your phone, right there in your tablet. You're taking them with you everywhere anyway. I hope you're sanitizing them right now, by the way. Uh, uh, spray them things down because they go everywhere with you. But you could put a Bible Gateway app on your, on your phone, on your tablet, and you would have access to close to 100 English translations of the Bible, plus about, mm, I don't know, 40 other languages and accurate translations of the Word of God. So let me encourage you to do that. But as you turn to Revelation chapter 5 or scroll or look, let me ask you a question. And it's a question that um, is a little dissettling. This past week, you might have seen that a number of celebrities uh, spliced together a video singing John Lennon's famous hit from the late 70s, early 80s, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. There's really not hard if you try. And I don't know all the words. It's not one of my favorite songs. It's actually a terrifying song if you listen to it. Because what we have to ask ourselves is if this is true, if all of this nothingness is all that's left, then what hope do we have? So now we come as a church to ask another question. What if there was no Jesus? Imagine with me just for one second that there was no Christ. There was no son of God. There was no lamb that was slain. There was no prince of peace. And see, in a day when you, like me, have seen uh, headline after headline, social media post after social media post, with all of the fear and anxiety and worry that's going on in our world, is that not the most terrifying question I could ask you this morning? Consider a world with no Jesus. Where would you turn for hope? Where would you right now turn for peace? Where would you turn for an understanding of who God is? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to God as the Father except through me. With no Jesus, there's no access to the fullness of God. And that's what brings us into the book of Revelation. That's what brings us in to Revelation chapter 5. Last week we were in chapter 4 looking at how worthy our God is, but now we're looking at the worthiness of Christ. And so if you are sitting there, you know a lot of times in, in, in services I ask you to stand and you might feel awkward standing at home, but we're in the presence of God and we're reading his word. So if you're able... Um, Please stand as we read the word of God online together now. 
It says this, starting in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. And one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders all fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with the incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And also of the living creatures and the elders. And their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, on sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever." And ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray together. God, I, I don't even know how anything I could say right now would add any value or worth or understanding to what we just read. You alone, Jesus, are worthy. You alone, Jesus, have accomplished all that God said you would accomplish, all that you deemed worthy, uh, deemed uh, acceptable for us to come into you and be part of you. You did it. And who are we to enter into your throne room? Except, Lord Jesus, you purchased us with your own blood. Help us to know you. Help us to place our eyes, our hope, our trust on you because Lord right now as a nation as a church as a civilization on this world we need you more than ever Lord we love you we ask all this in the name of Christ Jesus our savior our sustainer our Lord the victorious lamb amen
You may be seated. Even if you're at home, you can go ahead and have a seat right where you are. This passage of scripture speaks volumes to the beauty of who God is and what has happened in all of history. We get into Roman, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 5, and we're in this second scene of the throne room of God. See, last week we looked at God seated on the throne, and we kind of panned out from the center of the throne to see all of the beautiful expanse of his throne room and what it means to be in the presence of the living God. And here in chapter 4, we see four more pictures. If you've got your outline, we posted it online. I hope you were able to download it um, or, or print it out or however you want to use it. Um, you see at the very top you've got a section discovering truth in the text that's going to help us see four pictures that are presented by John in this vision that Jesus gives him of the throne room of heaven and then we're going to come down and we're going to apply that to our heart because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks it's out of the overflow of the heart that we deal with anxiety and fear and all of everything that's going on in the world around us because it's in the heart that Jesus says I'm coming and I'm going to reside there because you're getting a new heart you're being transformed and here in this passage of scripture, we see four pictures extra, uh, a, a development in the throne room of God. And the first picture shows us the scroll and the one and the unworthy. This vision that John gives is quite unsettling. This vision that John gives is what you and I would have if there was no Jesus. Notice he says, I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. This is God. We found last week in Romans, I keep saying Romans, please forgive me for that. In Revelation chapter five, we see in this passage, we see God on the throne and the elders and the, and the, and the angels are there proclaiming his glory and his his mercy and his power and the beauty of who he is. And we get into this verse of scripture and we see that he's holding out a scroll. He's holding out a, a book, something that's been written on. See, this is not uh, um, foreign for dignitaries in this day. This would be the royal edict. This is what's being put forward, uh, a pronouncement for his people. And it says there that he was sitting on the throne and he had a scroll that was written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, if you've ever gone to school, you'll know that usually when you write and you get to the bottom of the piece of paper, you flip it over and write on the back side of the paper. I hate doing that. Because my handwriting is terrible. Anybody that's seen my handwriting will vouch for the fact that I could be a doctor and write a prescription and not have to write it in Latin. You're not going to be able to read it anyway. I hate writing on the back of a piece of paper because I use pen. And, and because my handwriting's so terrible, I have to use a super fine point pen. Otherwise, I won't be able to read what I've written. And that's bad if you can't read what you've written. But because I use such an ultra fine point pen, if I write on the back, it bleeds through and I can't see what's written. So I hate writing on the back of a piece of paper. But see, in the first century, on these scrolls, what we have is the way the scrolls were made. You only wrote on the front of the page because of the way the papyrus was laid out in the scroll. If you wrote on the back, it would be like taking your piece of paper and laying it on asphalt and trying to write something legible. It's so bumpy and so craggly, you can't actually do it. But notice that it says that this scroll had writing on both sides because what God had in his hand was so important that one piece of paper couldn't hold it. Furthermore, it says that it was sealed, not just once, but seven times. 
Now, I, I don't know what the seals would have looked like. It could have been a band around it. If you've got seven on there, that's probably, uh, it's believed that it could have been uh, the, the signet wax rings uh, um, um, sealing that would be used by dignitaries of that time where you impress your signet ring into the wax to show that this was truly from you when you sealed it. Either way, what we know is that this message was so valuable that it wasn't just sealed one time or two times or three times, but seven times. It's the fullness of God's pronouncement to the world. We, we have this scroll presented, but then they start looking around and ask the question, I mean, who can approach God and take that scroll? Who in their right mind believes that they are able to march right up to the throne of God and say, I'll open that for you? It says that there was no one found worthy. Not one of the 24 elders. And if you, like I believe, that the 24 elders are representative of the 12 apostles plus the 12 uh, tribes of Judah or 12 tribes of Israel, surely one of those people would be worthy of seeing what God had. After all, God had given his word to most of these people before anyway, right? But it says there in the passage of scripture that the angel proclaimed who is worthy and verse three says, but no one in heaven or on earth was found worthy. You wanna know what it's like to have no Jesus in history? It's to have no one who is worthy. No one who is worthy to appear before God. And John, it says here, verse four, that he wept and wept because no one was worthy. John is so emotionally involved and attached into what's happening. So that's what worship does. When we worship, we have some emotional engagement. That's why it's natural to, to, to woohoo, shout, woohoo, amen, whatever. It's natural to raise your hand. It's natural to clap your hands. It's natural to feel something within you when you worship. And here's John in this big picture of the worship of God and everything's going great. It's like the height of the church service and God says, here's my word and nobody can do it. And John just weeps. And, and this, isn't, this isn't just this little bit of melancholy. This is guttural sadness. It says he weeps and weeps. He's using, a, a, he's using a linguistic device here where he is repeating to show the emphasis of how this has affected him. There was no one worthy. No one. You've got this word of God and nobody can even look at it. You've got this pronouncement from almighty creator of everything who made us in his image and not one being on earth or in heaven or under the earth can even look at it. But then we find something happen in verse five. In verse five, an elder steps up and it says, do not weep. Now, if I'm John, I'm thinking, what are you talking about, man? We about don't weep. Do you see what's playing out in front of you right here? God is giving us something beautiful and we can't even look at it. We're not worthy. No one's worthy. And he says, but don't, don't weep. Look, behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. 
See, the picture shifts from a scroll of one who is unworthy, but we have the, to the entrance of the lamb, the one who is worthy. The one, the only one who is worthy. Not one of many that could possibly do it. It said no one was found in heaven or on earth. But then here comes the lamb and he says, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he is able. Man, you want a statement for today? What's going on in the world today? What's happening in your life today? What's happening at your work site today? What's happening in government offices now? What's happening in hospitals all across this world? He is able. Period. He is able. Why is he able? Because he's the one who's worthy. He's the one who's worthy. He is the Lion of Judah. See, over in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, you can mark this down in the, in the margin there, um, on your outline. It says, Judah, this is, this is when Jacob, Israel, is giving blessing to his, his sons. And it says, Judah is a young lion. My son, you shall return from the kill. He crouches, he lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah. He is proclaiming that there is one coming from the tribe of Judah that will be the lion of all lions, that will be the victor of all victors that will hold. It says his scepter will not pass. But then he goes on and says the root of David. David, the Davidic king that, that, that was the promised one, the, son, the youngest son of Jesse. It says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, it says, A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and of understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is pointing forward to a day when, when David's kingdom has been cut off, that there will be one that will sit on his throne forever just like God promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16. The root of Jesse, the root of David. David was the son of Jesse and Jesus comes from that line and it says that he is the one who has conquered. Hmm. I love it. I, I love it. We've got one who is able because he is the one who has conquered. He is able to open the scrolls. And when this happens, it says, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. So we, we zoom back into the throne of God. And right there in the midst is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was able standing. But it says there, he was standing like a slaughtered lamb. Wait, wait, elder. I thought you said it was the lion of Judah. What's this lamb business? Christ Jesus is worthy because he was the slaughtered lamb of God given for you and for me. Given for us. And he goes on and talks about how he had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll. He had the fullness of wisdom. Remember what we've read just a minute ago in Isaiah chapter 11? I know I talk really fast and I read really fast, especially when I get excited. I kind of speed up and slow down and everything. But he's talking about how he had the fullness of wisdom and understanding and strength and insight, all of God. This was the spirit of God. Fully, we have the Trinity in the throne room of God. We have the Christ, the Father, and the Spirit all in one working together for your redemption and my redemption because Christ Jesus is worthy. 
So much so that there's this bold action that it takes there. It says there in verse 7 that he, the slaughtered lamb, went and he took the scroll out of the hand of God. I want you to understand how bold that is. We just saw the picture. No one was worthy to do this. No one was worthy to go to the throne of God. No one. But now Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, marches directly to the throne of God, reaches out, and it says he took. And I know that word took, we might lose it a little bit. I'm going to give you some Greek. So if you're sitting at home, you can add Greek to your resume now. Um, it, Greek, it is the aorist, aorist active indicative. It is a once for all completed action. What that means is that Jesus did this one time and it never had to be done again. He had the fullness of God with him as he reached out the conqueror and took the scroll. Why? Because the lamb was worthy. And then he shifts to this next picture and he talks about how creation exalts the risen lamb. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Hang on just one second. I thought God was the only one that could be worshiped. I thought that God was the only one worthy in heaven. But when the lamb of God, when the lion of Judah reaches out and grabs the scroll, everything in heaven says, we worship you because you are worthy. And what's God doing? Rejoicing in the glory of his son rejoicing in his presence rejoicing that the victory is being realized once and for all he said that each one of the elders the 24 elders had a golden bowl filled with incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song now now i i want to be clear what i believe about this prayer of the saints and this incense it says that when they saw Jesus, they bowed down. When they saw him take the scroll, they bowed down to worship him. We're going to get to their song of praise in just a second. But it says that they're holding this bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I believe that what is being pictured right here is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every prayer you have ever prayed. It is the fulfillment of every prayer that the Old Testament saints prayed. It, he is the fulfillment of everything that comes before God. It's in Christ Jesus alone. And there he is in the throne room. And the elders bow down. And they play the prayers that have gone up to God, have been carried up, and have been the sweet aroma. See, this incense is this, this nice sweet aroma. The sweet aroma in the nostril of God, it is fulfilled in Christ Jesus right there. And they start singing, you are worthy to take the scroll. You have done this because you were worthy. Why are you worthy? Because you were slaughtered. Yeah, you were the slaughtered lamb, but why were you slaughtered? Because you purchased us for God. This is a song of redemption. They are exalting the lamb. They are exalting the Christ because he is the redeemer. Because he is the one that fulfilled the ancient promise of God that one would come to give us a new heart. To instill with us a new life. To fill us with the fullness of all that God had so that we could come to God. It says that you purchased a people for God. By your blood. You want to talk about hope. You want to talk about peace. It's found in the blood of Christ. But I want you to notice the universal appeal of this redemption. 
This is, this is not a, a Western, a European, a Middle Eastern thing. Notice what he says there in verse nine. He says, you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. Now, I do not believe that what John is teaching here is that this means that everybody is okay. What I believe that John is demonstrating in this vision that Jesus has given him and in this prayer and this song of the elders is that it was the eternal plan of God that all people everywhere would be given access to his throne through the blood of Christ. But if you don't have the blood of Christ, you don't have access. You're not there. It is through him that we have redemption. It is through him that we have peace. And it doesn't matter if you were born in Atlanta, Georgia, if you were born in Zimbabwe, if you were born in Wuhan, China. It matters that you hear the gospel and that it goes forward because creation exalts this slaughtered, risen lamb. It says he made us a kingdom of priests. Made us a kingdom Kingdoms are victorious. Kingdoms have dominion. And it says that we will reign on the earth. That's you and me if we're in Christ Jesus. Then the fourth picture he gives us is how heaven resounds with a song of triumph. I want you to notice verse 11. It says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, notice the first words they say, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. Because of the price that Jesus paid with his own blood, he is worthy. He is being exalted. This is the fulfillment of what, what Paul tell, tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that is on, heaven, uh, on earth, above the earth, and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. But I want you to notice the beautiful imagery here. Notice John is so sucked into what's happening here that it says that then I heard the sound and all of a sudden everything around him is lit up and everything around him is resounding with praise and it's countless myriads, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels and celestial beings proclaiming the glory of Christ, the worthiness of the Savior. And you want to know why that's important? Because this is exactly what the shepherds saw in Luke chapter 2. God unrolled all of the beauty of heaven. God unrolled all of his messengers and said, Go and tell the shepherds that my son has been born to glorify me. And here John is looking and he sees all of heaven resound with this song of praise, erupting in praise for the Lamb is worthy wow so here we are asking ourselves the question March the 22nd 2020 what does this have to do with my heart today See, we apply truth to our heart because it is in our heart that we find the transformation of the gospel take root and take shape 
And so I want to walk through this with you and I want to help you walk, see what, what, what this passage of scripture means for you and me today in the midst of everything going on in our world. And the first thing that we have to come to grips with and understand is that our faith as Christians is built on the fact that God speaks. What we have as followers of Christ all comes down to what we have seen throughout all of scripture, that there is a creator God that made everything, but didn't just do a clockmaker thing and set it in motion and leave it alone. He interacts and he intervenes and time and time again throughout the Old Testament, we see God speaking through the prophets to his people. As a matter of fact, it says this in the book of Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, it says, long ago in many portions and in many ways, God God spoke to us through the prophets and through our fathers. But in these last days, he has spoken, and this is a definitive, has spoken once for all, through one who is by character, likeness, and being his own son. We have a God who loves us and speaks. It says in John chapter one, if you've been with me very long, um, you'll know that I quote this passage of scripture all the time. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and by the word were all things made that have been made. In other words, God is a God who speaks. And what we have to come away with when we see a God who speaks to us is we have to look at the fact that as a follower of Christ, you and I must find our significance solely in him. You can't measure yourself against the world. You can't measure yourself against another Christian. What's going to happen is you're going to walk away feeling like a failure. We, we live in social media overload, Right? I love seeing the behind the scene pictures where, where you got somebody that's this uh, social influencer through their blog or through their media or whatever. And they got this picture perfect, nine filters on the, on the picture. Everything's beautiful. It's this big smile and everything. And then you look and there's somebody that takes a picture from the other angle and it's like some, some girl sitting in her yard doing like this through a bush or something. Like, what is she doing? It's because we try to put the best out there. I, I do it too. Anytime we, have a, anytime we have a big get together or whatever, we're all dressed nice for something, we'll try to get a family picture. And I, we'll share one with you. We won't share the other 18 where the kids are pulling each other's hair and looking sideways and got a finger in their nose and everything else because we wanna put what's perfect out there. And what happens, the danger of that is we start trying to measure against others, but then we come back and we start trying to find significance in relationships. We try to find significance in, in jobs. We try to find significance in, in what the world says we should be. But if we believe that our faith is built on a God who speaks, then we've got to find significance in what he has said. And the fact that he is standing there and holds out this scroll that no one is worthy to open should tell us something about our own worthiness to live life apart from him. Because if we're going to truly know what it means to be human, what it truly means to be an image bearer, we've got to go back to the one who made us and look at his word and let him determine who we are for us. And then we have to look at what's going on. Let's make no secret about these scrolls. We've read the end of the story. If you've never read through the book of Revelation, um, let me encourage you just to stick with us over the next, uh, let's see, this is number 11, so 29 weeks um, as we get through the rest of this book. Um, it's, not a, it's not a pretty picture in all things. 
As a matter of fact, what starts happening once, now that Jesus has this, this book, is he starts to open it seal by seal. And every time a seal is opened, there is an in indictment on humanity, on the created order, and it's a judgment of God. And we want to turn and run in fear with this. But let me, let me encourage you here. Because God's judgments are necessary because God's judgments are a demonstration of his sovereignty. God's judgments are a demonstration that he alone is in control. He alone has authority. He alone has power. And he does not share that with anyone outside of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so what we have to look at as an encouragement today is that if it doesn't happen this way, then we don't have a holy God. If this sovereignty is, is evaded, if we try to skirt around it, if we try to get to the outside of it, then we are just saying, God, you're just like a grandpa who's going to give us juicy fruit gum, pat us on the head and send us along our way with a $5 bill, rather than showing us the majestic power of who you truly are. It causes us to come back because look, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I can think of about uh, 35,712 decisions off the top of my head that I wish I'd have made a different decision on. You know why? Because I'm flawed. My grandpa used to say, I was only wrong once and that was the time I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't. That's how we like to live our lives. As though we're always right, but, but we're not. And, and, and we can say, well, I, I would change this. I wish I could do this. But here's the difference. Here's the deal. Either God is sovereign and in control or he's not. And if God is sovereign and God is truly in control, then you and I can rest easy knowing that if we had it a different way, it would actually be worse. That doesn't alleviate our responsibility. That doesn't alleviate the fact that you and I have to walk making decisions in accordance with who we are in the gospel and who we are in Christ. But it does bring us back to the fact that when some of these things unravel and when some of these things take place, if we had it any other way, it would actually be worse because we'd say, God, you didn't have it right the first time. Judgments are necessary because judgments show us who is truly in charge. But then here's something beautiful for you. Jesus Christ is central to the purpose of God. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus wasn't a plan B. It wasn't that God was sitting up there in heaven and said, you know what, I made this perfect world. And, oh, man, I guess I messed up when I made Adam and Eve because I gave them the ability to choose. And, man, I told them not to eat that fruit, but they ate it anyway. And, oh, good grief, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? How am I going to fix this? See, that, that, that's us. That's the us. And see, we want to pull God down to our level to where we say, okay, God's like us. He has to figure some things out. No, no, no. God is not like us. And I praise him for that. I don't want a God that's like me because I know how messed up I am. I know how broken I am. But Jesus Christ, it says in the, book of, uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter one, that before the foundation of the world, God chose that Christ would be the redeemer. And here in this passage of scripture, it says in verse six, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. Not in the midst of the throne room, in the midst of the throne. He puts the cross right central to where God is because Jesus Christ was central to the purpose and plan of God. 
You don't get there without him. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You don't get to where you want to go to God as father without coming to me. Because believe me, all roads will lead you to God. But there's only one road that will lead you to him as father. There's only one road that will lead you to God as the one who has forgiven you. All the other ones lead you to God as the ultimate judge who will bring down wrath. Period. The Bible makes it explicitly clear that we will all stand before the throne of God and give an account. So you and I must come to this understand that redemption through the blood of Christ is our entry right into knowing God. Notice it says that the worthiness of God here, the worthiness of Christ is because he was slaughtered and he purchased people for God by his blood. Redemption was the plan. Redemption by blood, the blood of Christ, was the plan. That's why Jesus is in the garden saying, Lord, if there's a different way, let that happen. But not my will, your will, Lord. See, redemption is how you and I can go from the side of the, the, side of the road where we're going to run into God and he's going to be our ultimate judge and, and also our, our eternal executioner. And, and cast us into what we know as the second death from Revelation 19 and 20 to the side of the road over here where we say, I have repented, I have believed, I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You want to know God? You go to Jesus. You want to know what God's purpose for your life is? You go to Jesus. You go through Jesus because Jesus is the one that can take the, thro- the scroll out of the hand of the one on the throne and say, here it is, ready to be opened. The cross is so central to God's purpose and God's plan. And what that leads us to is triumph. See, triumph is the, in this life is the result of his death and his resurrection. Notice it says there that because he purchased us for God by his blood, he made us a kingdom and priest to God who would reign forever. Do you know who gets to reign? The triumphant, right? Go back and read all through history. You don't have a defeated king still reigning his kingdom. Usually what happened was the defeated king, after being deposed, if the, if the, if the, if the victor was nice, they would just put him in prison. But a lot of times that king was killed. That king was put to death, was executed, because they knew that as long as that king lived, there was a chance that his power could be still used. But once the king was out of the picture, see, that's what the cross does. The cross kills the king of this world. It kills Satan. It puts him out of power. It puts him, it deposes him and makes you a new type of kingdom that will reign forever under the authority and the throne of God. Or as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, that you and I are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not by coronavirus, not by bankruptcy, not by war, not by famine, not by anything. We have triumph in this life today because of the life we're guaranteed in the future from the victorious king who has conquered. Make no mistake. There's a reason why John uses the language. There's a reason why this vision of heaven is is given the way it is. There is a triumphant king and his name is Jesus who offers us his victory today. So let me ask you a question. If heaven 
If heaven erupts in worship at the presence of Christ Jesus, how does your heart respond? If heaven itself erupts, notice with me there are two times in all of scripture that we see this picture. At Jesus' birth and at the time that Jesus takes the scroll and the elders and, and, the, and, the, and the angels start to, the creatures start to worship him. Right there in heaven. It erupts thousands upon thousands. Look, I've gone to several college football games. I've gone to some down in, in, in Gainesville to watch the Gators play. Uh, we went several times to, to, to Clemson when, when we were living in the Anderson area. To some, and, and I can remember one time in particular. Braden was about four months old. And, and so we took him to all the home games. We had a, a former church member that just so graciously gave us uh, tickets, that he, extra tickets he had to all the games. And, and he was four months old and I would wear him on my chest in one of those chest carriers. And most of the time he would sleep. But I can remember, it was the end of September, 2011. Clemson was playing Florida State uh, right there. You, you know me, I don't like Florida State. Sorry, all you Knowles fans out there. I'll pray for you. But, um, but we're, we're there at the game and, and, and I believe it was Christian Ponder was the quarterback for, for the Seminoles that year. And Clemson's winning 35-30. It's late in the fourth quarter. Florida State has the ball and, and Daquan Bowers breaks through the line and he drives Florida State's quarterback into the ground. Like I'm surprised there wasn't a massive divot in the ground. He hit the guy so hard. And that stadium of 85,000 people, it went, Sorry if you're online. It erupted. It's probably one of the loudest things I've ever heard in my life. But when Jesus appears and takes the scroll from God the Father, because he is the slaughtered lamb who was worthy, heaven went ballistic. It went louder than anything this world could ever imagine when thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of the heavenly host, uh, heavenly host start proclaiming, worthy are you, worthy, worthy, worthy. So, so how does your heart respond? How does your heart respond to the presence of Christ Jesus? Do you see him as worthy or do you see him as just another tax on your time? An, an, another good idea, another, another prop for life. How does your heart respond? And the final question that leads us to here is ultimately this. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Yeah, I know you can look at your Bible. You can look right there and say, yep, man, worthy appears in this passage of Scripture five times. And all five times it talks about Jesus worthy. So yeah, Jesus worthy. I'm not asking you, does the Bible say he's worthy? See, Jesus stood there with his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew and he said, hey, who do people say that I am? Well, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Moses, some think you're John the Baptist back from the dead. And Jesus says, okay, that's great. Who do you say that I am? See, today you're sitting in your living room, disconnected from the gathering. And we pray that God would put an end to this sickness so that we can get together again soon. But it doesn't matter if you're in this sanctuary or if you're sitting at home. The question comes back, is he worthy? Not what's on the page, but what's in your heart? Because if he's truly worthy, nothing else in the world matters except for proclaiming him and making him known. 
Yeah, you're going to have all the cares in the world. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have cares. You're going to have all these things. It doesn't take those away. It puts a new focus on them. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of your affection? Is he worthy of your devotion? Is he worthy of your money? Is he worthy of your time? Is he worthy of your marriage? Is he worthy of your children? Is he worthy of everything you have? Because everything God has, it was held out and Jesus took it as the one who was worthy. So if heaven erupts in worship at his presence, how does your heart respond? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? 